Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. Great. Well, for those who don't know me, my name's Jessica. I'm one of the um, pastors here. We look after the young adults ministry, who we love, and um, along with my husband down there. And um, I'm so excited to be able to come and share the next installment of our Christmas at Victory um, series. And you know what? If you're going to be given a message, be given the message of Christmas. So merry, so exciting. So I'm a little bit excited today. Um, so to recap, on last week with Pastor Nate, um, he, we found ourselves in Luke chapter 2 um, with the message of the shepherds encountering the angels, declaring the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, had arrived. And he showed us and he kind of gave us a bit of a history lesson of why this was such a significant proclamation. Why, this, why was it that this made these shepherds run into town, find this child, and then go on to tell everybody they knew about this incredible message? Um, and we looked at the history of the Israelites that we find in the Old Testament scriptures. There was a key um, covenant, a key promise that God made to Abraham that said this in Genesis 12 verses 2 to 3. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This was an incredible promise. This was what throughout all those generations, uh, as we then continue on through the Exodus story, through Joshua, Judges, the kings, into exile. This was the history of the Israelite family that was a family chosen by God to be his special people that were holding, holding on to the promise that through this nation, they would be a blessing to the whole world. Okay, this was their promise. But they were in exile. They were cast out from their land. And... Um, under the Persian reign, okay, I'm getting all history on you as well. Um, under the, um, the reign of the Persian Empire, they were allowed to return to their land. However, they were then under still oppression of these empires. And in particular, we then find ourselves under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So um, they were still longing for and awaiting for freedom basically, is where we found ourselves last week. So this explosive announcement of the Messiah was huge because this is what generation after generation, their granddad and the granddad before them had been telling them about that this Messiah was coming. Um, but this Messiah, now this is where Pastor Nate sort of mentioned but then moved on from, for a reason, it was fine. But I'm, I'm circling back around to it. <laughs> I know, I'm not, I'm not. Anyway, um, this Messiah, this is what the general understanding was of this Messiah. They were awaiting that this, he would be a great military leader that would actually defeat their enemies, defeat the Romans, and that he would also rebuild or, uh, and cleanse the temple. So they had this idea of this Messiah that was going to set them free, but they had this idea of how he was going to do it. But what we're going to explore today is how he did it in a very different way. So that's what we're going to have a look at and what that means for these guys and what that means for us today and for us personally, okay? That's our plan. I'm going to pray. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are so good. I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that it is life and breath to us so that we may know you and follow you, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that as we read around your scriptures, Lord God, um, Holy Spirit, that you will do an incredible work, that you will help us to hear what needs to be heard. Not Jessica's rambling on, but what you're saying, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the power of your word to transform lives. And we pray you do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So who has ever been somewhere or met someone or experienced something that way exceeded your expectations? Anybody? This is where the wives say, oh, when I met my husband. Husbands, oh, when I met my wife. That he way exceeded my expectations. He's amazing. Um, or what about that, sh- that show, um, Britain's Got Talent? I'm sure Australia has talent too in America. I'm sure there's all those shows out there. Um, but you've seen that show before, maybe on YouTube, and the like drab looking lady or man comes out and they're all like, who's this person? They think they can sing. And then they're like, and it's like Pavarotti. And it's just like all the crowd's crying and they're like, oh, we love you now that you're so talented. And it's so superficial and terrible. But anyway, but you know what I mean? It like way exceeded the expectations of that crowd and of the judges. You've seen that, haven't you? Yeah, maybe not, maybe, maybe not. If you haven't, go on YouTube, just type it in. Um, For me, one experience I remembered was my husband and I, ages ago, before we had children, lovely time of life, um, we, no, sorry, it's lovely now too, I joke, I joke. Um, We went over to America for a holiday and we went to Disneyland. Ah, who's been to Disneyland? Oh, yes, the privileged. Well done. Um, it's, it's fantastic. I highly recommend. And can I tell you, they say it's the happiest, happiest place on earth. It actually is the happiest place on earth. Um, aside from, you know, we know our true happiness and joy is found in Jesus and it's all great. But other side from that, true, like, no, not true happiness, happiness is found at Disneyland. It's amazing. The, like, the detail in the gardening, the detail in the uniforms, in the restaurants, in the food, in the songs you hear, in the way they perform. It's amazing. And Simon and I were there only for two days. Highly recommend don't do that. Spend a week there. And we didn't care. We were there from dawn until like past midnight. My hips were hurting. And I'm like, you know, only in my mid-20s at the time. So it's not like I should have hurting hips. But they were killing me, but I was just sitting there in my pain at night, just looking around and just like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I just loved being there. And um, at the end, towards the end of the day, we were going to go see this light show, which was incredible. But we're like, oh, while we're waiting, oh, look, there's a Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Why don't we just go check that out? That looks great. Um, so it's like this sort of house front almost, and you line up, and you sit in, and you just think it's going to be a little loop. But the next minute, it's like taking you down into this underground warehouse bunker sort of thing, and you, you think you're back outside again, and there's like ships firing at each other, and then there's like a whole restaurant of people there. I'm like, how do they even get there? How do they know that restaurant was there? Then you go into another room and there's like a a Johnny Depp puppet like doing his like thing that he does. And and it's just like mind being blown over and over again of this underground world of Disneyland. I think they're preparing for the end of the world. I think they know they can fit all of America in there at the end because it's just intense how, you know, you think you're going in for one thing, but then it's something completely different. It exceeded our expectations. It was amazing, wasn't it, babe? We actually, after we got back, we saw like a, an awesome deal, like a travel center to go back to Disneyland. We're like, ooh, that could be okay. We can go next month. Let's go again. We didn't, but you know, it was, it was great. Um, I kind of feel like Christmas time and the nativity scene, or the nativity story, sometimes it can be a little bit like that. 
We are so familiar with seeing it. Even if you're someone who hasn't been brought up in the church, even if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus at all, you are familiar at Christmas time with this cute scene of the mother and the dad with the baby and their shepherds and there's a little sheep and, you know, an angel and it's all so lovely. And we are familiar with this scene, right? And, and we feel comfortable with this scene of a baby Jesus. But can I challenge you this morning that it, there's way more than meets the eye with this story. It is an explosive story. It is an incredible, life-changing story. And as I have been learning, now I am definitely not a scholar. I am definitely not, um, you know, overly have masters and doctorates and all this knowledge about this history. But I have been researching. I do my due diligence with that. Um, and I am a primary school teacher. So I can count for something, maybe. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But in my learning, I have realized that when we learn the history, we learn the context and who these characters are and kind of ground ourselves in it, then things unlock that are brand new. Yes, the scriptures are for everyone. When we read it, whether we have knowledge, background knowledge or not, it changes your life because of the work of the Holy Spirit. However, when you take the time to dive in deeply and listen to learned people and communities and you sharpen one another, it's this whole new world that the scriptures and God wants to unpack for you and so much more texture and it's so raw and it's so life-changing. So that's what I'm hoping to kind of scratch the surface of today. Is that okay? I want us to take us on that, that, that Pirates of the Caribbean ride and hopefully see that there's more than meets the eye here. Um, because this infancy account actually grounds the story of Jesus in the longest story of Israel and the whole world. And at the same time, it points forward to the ministry of Jesus that is to come. So let's consider this story. It's found in the book of Matthew and Luke. That's where we find the, the birth of Jesus' stories. Um, the book of Matthew was written for the Jews... So it's good to know who the audience is. It is most likely um, traditionally um, researched that it, the traditional author is linked to Matthew, the tax collector, who was one of the disciples of Jesus um, and who was his purpose was to gather this information to show um, the Jewish people who's writing to that Jesus is the continuation and the fulfillment of the whole biblical story. While there's Luke who was actually writing for the Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, Greek people, um, and, and Luke traditionally was known as um, Luke. The book of Luke was traditionally recognized to be written by Luke, who was the traveling companion and co-worker of Paul. And he was collecting the eyewitness testimonies of the people who were with Jesus. And again, showing how Jesus' story um, fulfills the long um, story of um, the Israelites and the whole world. So they both had a very intent, intense um, purpose for why they were writing. And every scripture I've learned is there on purpose. Everything's there on purpose. So I'm going to chuck some scriptures on the screen and you're going to be like, Jess, I'm not going to chuck that up on my wall. It's not very exciting. But every scripture is powerful and every scripture, every word is on purpose to teach um, the Jewish people of the day, the Gentiles and us today of something to reveal of God's purposes and character. So we can't just rush through things. But, you know, I have got a time limit, so I'm going to keep talking. So let's zoom in now on Luke. We're going to zoom in on Luke chapters 1 and 2. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just kind of going to pull some things out. Is that okay? Yep. All right. We're following. All right. So Luke chapter 1 verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
So again, nothing very exciting. However, I just want to point out the context that Jesus found himself in when he was born. So he was under Roman occupation in Jerusalem, as I mentioned earlier. And um, they had been ruling in Jerusalem for approximately 60 years up to this point. Um, it's roughly around 6 to 4 BC. I really hope I'm getting all these facts right. Pastor Keith is on the front row, so he can tell me later if there's a problem. Um, so that's roughly where we find ourselves under the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now, this society was a classed society, but it wasn't like a kind of evenly spread one. It was like, say, an upside, like a pyramid maybe, or like an upside down, like an arrow head or something. Not upside down, up that way. Um, you have the emperor at the top, and he has all power, um, all dominion over the land. He was a ruthless leader. Um, he would also be called son of God and savior of the world by the, the, his followers, um, and, and even he's bringing peace for Rome, but it's through oppression and it's through terror and that sort of thing. But this is who's at the top, all power. Um, and then there's a few others that kind of have a little bit of power, but then the, the most of society was um, poor and oppressed and, um, and having no importance and actual no way of even to think of I could possibly get out of this situation for me. Um, so that's what we're sort of looking at. And then we have King Herod there, who was a crazy man by the looks of it. Um, he was given charge of the Galilean and Judean people and he was deeply insecure and he had a real violent streak. Um, in fact, don't read too much into it if you don't like reading scary stuff. Um, but like he would kill members of his own family, um, including his wife, because he um, suspected them of scheming against him. I think apparently he became very paranoid and all this sort of thing. Um, so this is the context of where we find Jesus being born. Okay, this is when God's like, oh, good time. Go to send him down there now. Um, right there in that that rain so that's kind of the context and we'll kind of see how that's important in a minute so then if we move forward to Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 27 we have this in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy so that's cousin to Mary um, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David the virgin's name was Mary now, I forgot to say before, if I, was, if I was to give this a title, I'm going to call this The Unlikely Story, okay? The Unlikely Story. I'm hoping you're going to start picking up on this. So, here we have Mary. We're looking at the characters and context here. So, Mary, she's a teenager. Because she's a virgin, she's most likely the age of anywhere from 12 to 17, Poor. I'm teaching 12-year-olds next year at school. So I just cannot believe it. Like a 12-year-old could potentially be entrusted with the king of the world. Let that blow your mind a little bit there. Um, so she's a teenager from Nazareth. And so as a woman and a member of the poor, um, she was lowly and outcast in a patriarchal society. And as a virgin, she was further marginalized by her lack of valued offspring. So she by the world standard, this woman doesn't have a lot of value, an unlikely person. And then Nazareth, we find Nathaniel, who follows Jesus later, um, say, the, say this line, can anything good come from Nazareth? And I was researching into what Nazareth was about. So the population was about roughly 400 to 600 people. And I was trying to find a suburb around here that would have that, but there's not one. I was like, Bulladilla, maybe, no, they've got more. I was like, Dungog, I was trying to think of, you know, somewhere out the back, surely there's somewhere. Um, and so I thought of my school that I teach at, Belmont Christian College. 
So just imagine that's the town. And in this town, roughly everybody knows each other by name and you would hear every rumour under the sun. You would know everything that's going on. So consider that with what's happening with Mary. Um, and they were looked down upon, this, this town was looked down upon by everybody. Um, but she of all people was given this unlikely promise. Mary is far more representative of women. She also represents the faithful people of Israel and she responded in faith. She said in Luke 1 verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant, an unlikely person in an unlikely place at an unlikely time. Let's keep going. Luke chapter 2 verses 6 to 7. Here we go. We're jumping, we're jumping through. While they were there, they, this came... The time came for the baby to be born. Well, 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 before that, they're in Bethlehem now. So the baby has grown, or Jesus, the baby, he's grown in the tummy. Um, they were all sent to their home, original family lineage towns to be counted in a census by Caesar Augustus, most likely to increase taxes, all that sort of thing. They're on their way to Bethlehem. They arrive in Bethlehem just when the due date's happening, or maybe she went a bit over, I don't know. Um, so she's about to have this baby. Um, they're looking for somewhere to stay. We're familiar with that story. So that's where we find ourselves. So she has now, the time has come for her to have the baby. And verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, let me pull out some unlikely things in this section. So firstly, a baby. God was sending the king of the world that the Israelites believed was going to lead them in military battle to overthrow Caesar Augustus, he sent a baby. A baby, vulnerable, innocent, um, dependent. The king of the world would be dependent upon a teenager. Oh my goodness, I would not trust any of my six kids next year with a baby. Or, or even a cat or a dog, maybe. Like, <laughs> seriously. It's just incredible, this vulnerability. Um, and then a manger in a feeding trough. This is important. We don't get every detail of every story, but this, the, the details that are included are important. And we need to take note because this manger was so important to be mentioned because it was so unique that it needed to be mentioned so that the angels could tell the shepherds which baby to look for because there could have been other babies lying around. They didn't want them to just go worshipping some other baby in a crib. It needed to be the baby in the manger, okay? So God's good with the clarification sometimes. Other times, not so much, but he was good here with the clarification. So, but a manger, it's unhygienic. Like, my, my two boys had to spend some time in the queue after they were born. They were really yellow. They had the jaundice thing going on. And um, I tell you what, the amount of hand washing and every time you had to hand sanitize like a, like a thousand times and it was so clean and the care was amazing. I wouldn't dream of putting my newborn child in a place that an animal eats from. Like, please, let's ground ourselves in this story. Don't just see the cute manger with a little bit of straw hanging out. Like, it's dirty, this dirty situation. Um, Absolutely incredible. So unlikely person again in a, from an unlikely place um, found in a... No, an unlikely person this time is the baby in an unlikely place. Crazy things. All right, one last thing. You saying with me? We're going okay? All right. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. This is where you find the shepherds again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the shepherds. So I found out that these shepherds, okay, these were shepherds that were actually tending the flocks near Bethlehem all year round because they were tending the, the sheep, the flocks that were intended for sacrifice. That were, they had to be pure. They had to be right. And I, I believe they were also the ones for the, like, the, the, you know, the elite, the, the most religious and most pious to use. So they had to stay out to make sure these sheep stayed pure. Um, but they were potentially Levites themselves, but they were not. They were actually religious outcasts because they were not able to keep the customs and the traditions that a Levite was normally meant to keep. So again, these guys were not likely people to receive the first good news of a coming Messiah. You think you would tell the big boss of the temple. You think you would tell a king. You would think you would tell somebody of great wealth. But God chose to send the good news of the Messiah's coming to the lowly shepherds, the outcast shepherds, the dirty, smelly shepherds who wouldn't have hand sanitizer to clean their hands before coming and seeing Jesus. So he sent these guys This should be starting to go, whoa, hang on. Now that we've grounded ourselves in this story, let this start changing what's going on here. It's not just that cute cutout of the nativity scene we're normally meant to see. So this is not even to mention the unlikely story of Mary's cousin with Zachariah and Elizabeth and their story, the non-Jewish magis that came and gave their gifts and all the traumatic drama around the story of Jesus' birth. Okay, this king, this baby king that was under threat. He was threatened. His life was threatened. This was the life that the king of the world had come into. This is crazy. And so the Jewish people, the Gentile people, hearing the story of Matthew and Luke, this would be outrageous to them. This would even possibly be scandalous that you would say that the Messiah I have been expecting, that my grandfather and their grandfather told me about, would come in these conditions. I wonder if it was hard for them to believe. But hang on, hang on. Let's do a little bit of a further history thing here. I'm sorry. I actually do teach history to children at school, so I do enjoy it a little bit. I'm one of those crazy people. But let's rewind a little bit. Okay, so over in Matthew 1, I'm not going to put this on the screen, I'm not going to read it all out, but over in Matthew 1, it starts off the story of Jesus' birth with a genealogy with his genealogy, his family tree, his family history, okay? So important because it grounds Jesus with the claims that, yes, he is from the line of Abraham, so important. And yes, he is from the line of David, so important. But it also mentions some very unlikely characters. We have a mention of Tamar, of Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, who's Bathsheba. These women were included in a genealogy. Firstly, that's not common in a patriarchal society. Secondly, these women were not just women of elegance and wonderful history, family history. These were women that had like, like sexual immoral question marks around them. These were women that some of them were not even Israelites, Jewish people, but included in a Jewish genealogy. 
This is crazy. But what we are seeing is this has happened before. God has used throughout all of history, throughout all the scriptures, unlikely people in unlikely situations to bring about his kingdom and his good work on the earth. I hope you're starting to see maybe a trend here. And then we're even reminded, say, of King David. And when Samuel was going to look for the new king of the Israelite people, he went to the house of Jesse and he went through all the sons of Jesse until, and and God was like, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. No, it's not him. And there was nobody left. And and he's like, is there any more? Because God told me to come here. And Jesse was like, oh, there's my son, David. He's just out with the sheep. He stinks. Um, he's not that great. Um, Let's go get him. And this is where we find in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, this is what Jesus, this is what the Lord said to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. So this is the other people, not not David. Um, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So again, an unlikely person to be chosen as king of the Israelites. There is a trend here. All right, so we've done, we've done the rewind. Now let's do the fast forward. This is really important because as I said, the story of the, like Jesus' infancy stories helped ground us in the overall biblical narrative. Um, so we see how it's connected in the history and then we also see how it points forward to his ministry. So let's, let's jump ahead to his ministry as a grown man. Where are there some more unlikely characters that God uses? First thing, his disciples, the people he calls closest to him, his friends, his confidants, the ones that he has entrusted with to take the kingdom of God out into all the world, his message. These are the people, tax collectors, who were absolutely um, looked down upon by all Jewish people who were outcast, marginalized because of their betrayal of the Israelite people by collecting taxes for Rome. They did not like tax collectors. He chose dirty fishermen. He chose a zealot who was this kind of marginal group that was like trying to overrun Rome with violence and assassinations and all this crazy stuff. This is who Jesus chose to be his disciples, to be his friends unlikely people chosen by God. And then we have, we find ourselves in places like Mark chapter 2 verses 15 to 17. Let's have a look. Let's look what Jesus is doing here. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus, he spent his time with the outcasts, the marginalized of the day. This was explosive, the way he behaved. Sinners, prostitutes, outcasts. Unlikely people loved by God. And then, two more, the explosive Sermon on the Mount is what we call it, the Sermon on the Mount. God didn't get up and go, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, He just got up and started preaching. Um, 
but it's so explosive. I have thoroughly enjoyed learning about this. I highly recommend if you want to do some reading over Christmas after you've stuffed your face full with all the Christmas things, have your sleeping coma, food coma thing, wake up, read into this, okay? If you don't like reading, that's okay. I highly recommend, look, I'm just going to recommend stuff. Um, the Bible Project on YouTube, okay? It's a great way to start. They explain a lot of these things. Um, read into this sermon because this is crazy. This is Jesus announcing the arrival of God's kingdom and that God's kingdom was, the, was God's rescue. He was, it was God's rescue operation for the whole world and it was not coming for the elite like in Roman culture. It was not coming for the pure like what the Pharisees expected. It was coming for everyone. He was coming to confront not just the evil of Rome, but the sin, spiritual evil of the world. It was, he was more than what they expected. He was announcing the upside down kingdom where there were no privileged members. This was completely countercultural. He talked in this sermon about turning the other cheek. And this is when a Roman can come up to anybody and just give him a big slap and say, you know, give me your taxes or carry this for me. And says, turn the other cheek. He says, go the extra mile. He says, to, to when you give, don't give like the, the religious people do that see that they give so that everybody can see. Give so only your Father in heaven can see. He talks about loving your enemies. How shocking is that? We think we have enemies because that co-worker at work, you know, they're spending rumours about me and they're really like working, the devil's working through them. That kind of thing. We think they're our enemies. But these guys had enemies. Actual enemies that they wanted to see overturned. Okay? But Jesus said, love them. Love them. This is explosive. This is unlikely. This is the kingdom of God being outworked and announced on earth. Everybody is invited. And you know the people he was talking to, this Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, sure, there might have been some Romans, scattered Pharisees coming to check him out. But this, these were the down and outers. These were the outcasts. These were the people who had nothing left. That bottom rung of that Roman society. The people who had crippled, they were crippled. They were sick. They were diseased. These were the people who had nothing left. But God was announcing that they were a part of this kingdom. That they had value in this kingdom. That He has chosen them to be a part of this kingdom. This is incredible. And then finally, the ultimate unlikely story, that the king of the world, the creator of the world, would humble himself and come and die for his created, um, created people. He would come and die for us, the cross. In Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as he, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is the unlikely story. He was not that military leader in the sense that they expected it. But he was in the sense that he fought against, he conquered sin and death and the grave so that not just the Israelite people in that time and that context can have spiritual freedom, but for us today, for all of humanity, we're now set free because of Jesus, because of this little baby that came in a very unlikely way, surrounded by unlikely people in an unlikely time. This is the good news. So, to sum it all up, uh, Pastor Nate, a while ago when we were reading through um, Mark, talked about how it's important, the, the kind of framework when we're learning the Bible. And he said it's important to ask, what was the author saying to them? What is the author saying to us? And what's the author saying to me? And so I feel like we've kind of gone through and seen, okay, this is what the author is saying to the people in that context. Basically saying that Jesus' story is the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel and bigger than that, of the story of God and the whole world. So that's what he was saying. But let's now bring it in. What does all this history lesson, Jess, have to do with me right now? I've got a question for you. What is your response now to this Messiah? To this upside down kingdom? that he has brought to earth. What is your response? There may be people in this room, there may be people online that you've actually never responded to this King, to this Messiah, to this Jesus. Maybe you've chosen in the past that you actually know, no, I'm not going to believe that. It confronts too much within me or it's too hard. So maybe you run away or maybe... Maybe your response could be that you will recognise this baby, Jesus, this, this baby, then grown man, to be the crucified king, to be your king. Maybe your response is that. There's also one other thought I have too, that maybe we, how we can possibly respond to this story. So, so at the beginning, I said how we're very familiar with that nativity scene, baby Jesus, cute baby Jesus. Um, and I even read this week that a um, historian who was very sceptical of the Christian faith and, and not a Christian himself um, thought, oh, I know why everybody's so comfortable with this story, because baby Jesus, he's not a threat. <laughs> this, this, it's like, What? when we unpack this and when we see what this baby Jesus did the fact that it was only like you know a century later that the top dog Caesar Augustus was actively pursuing killing his followers he could, he thought he was a threat this Jesus was a threat he was he was claiming kingship of all of the earth this was a threat he is not a sweet baby Jesus but maybe we can sometimes do similar. 
we can go sometimes, we might say, Jesus, I feel comfortable with you challenging me here. I feel comfortable with seeing and knowing you in this way. This is when we have the lines like, I can't imagine following a God that would let this happen. This is when we have lines that we go, why wouldn't he allow this to happen? I can't follow a God that does that. But when is it our job to say what God does and doesn't do? Who are we to box him into this sweet baby Jesus, comfortable thing that God, I will give you this part of my life, but no, I'm going to take this part. He is king of all or king of nothing. You need to choose that. You need to decide that. And it's a challenge for people who've been following Jesus for a while still. Because it's so easy to slip back into, oh, no, God, I will, I, will, I will manage and control this part of my life, my relationships. I will manage and control this part of my life, my, my depression and my anxiety. I, I can do this. But we forget that He is constantly and will forever be calling us to call Him King and Lord of all. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. We encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.